0: All right, we're in Luke chapter eleven. Uh, this thing has been like a uh, a little bit of a, a brain teaser for me. It's it, it, it's kind of uh, it's been a, a challenging passage for me to 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 preach at it. But last week we were talking about it's probably one of the hardest sayings of Jesus, uh, where where Jesus heals a guy who was demon possessed, and and as a result, what happens is. Is uh, these people come at him and they throw two objections at him that basically question who he is, that he's not really God, um, and uh, because because of some circumstances. But then, secondly, uh, there were some religious people, some Pharisees, that threw something at him that, that that they were basically asking Jesus to show them a greater sign, like show me a greater sign than all of the things that you've been doing. Show me a greater sign than healing someone of demon possession who was obviously demon-possessed. He had major issues, and uh, Jesus comes up, heals him, and it's gone. But Jesus has been healing people over and over again and raising people from the dead and, and uh, all kinds of things like that. So many people know that he's healing people, and what happens is this, is that these religious people are sitting there saying, you know, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know that this really happened. I don't know that that this really took place. I don't know that Jesus really is who he says he is. I don't, I don't know that I really buy into it because I don't really see the evidence for that. I don't know if you know of anybody like that today that, that might feel that way. I've got a, a good friend who, who is uh, not a believer in Jesus, and, and he is all about science, and so he wants to see a sign uh, of science. I wanna see it uh, proven uh, or scientifically proven that Jesus existed and that he, uh, that he actually did what he said he did and, and so on. But it also seeps its way into the church where the church uh, has many, many people in it that are in this place where we find ourselves like seeking for a greater sign than maybe what we have. We're seeking for a sign that Jesus actually has the answer. We're seeking for a sign that maybe he knows what he's doing that maybe I should listen to him at, in a, at a greater capacity. And Jesus has a response to us. Jesus has some words for us that we need to hear. Because our issue oftentimes is that we want a God to be proven to us that fulfills our own desires. A God that's going to help me with my life plan, that's gonna help me with the things that I wanna see happen. A God that's gonna make me happy, a God that's gonna do things for me that I, uh, that I can't do for myself. Give me a sign that you exist. Give me a, give me a sign that, this, that I should really follow you, that I should really be devoted to you, that I should really listen to your word, that I should really make uh, being a part of the church a priority. It's one of the biggest casualties of COVID is that many, many people believe that like, you know what, I can just disconnect from my community. I'll come back to church someday when, uh, when, when, uh, when everything blows over. I don't really need it right now. And ultimately, we say, I, I, I'm good on my own. I'm good on my, I'm not saying everybody does it. I'm saying there's a lot of people who believe I'm good on my own. I don't really need this whole teaching of Jesus. I don't really need what God has for me. And that's what these religious guys are saying. It tells us in the book of Matthew that tells the same story. The book of Matthew tells this same story. And the book of Matthew says that there's some Pharisees and some scribes that come up to Jesus and they say, Hey, we want you to show us a sign. Give Give us a sign that you really are God. That you really are him. So the question that we have to ask is, what are we really looking for from Jesus? And have we missed it all along? Because I believe this. There's many of us sitting in this room right now. There's many of us watching on live stream. There's many of us uh, throughout the world that believe that we have trusted in Christ, but we really are not actually listening to him. We're actually looking to a God to be made in our own image. We have created this God in our own image. And we believe when you start creating the signs that I ask you for, when you start doing all the tricks that I want you to perform, then I'll believe. The main issue with this is that God does whatever he wants. Like if he is God, if he's truly God, then he gets to call the shots. And most of us don't necessarily understand that. He, if he's God... He calls the shots. He determines what is right and wrong. I don't get to determine that. I don't get to say that. I don't get to believe whatever I want. And as we see the consistent progression of both in the church and outside of the church, as people say, I want a God who gives me the signs that I want that will prove to me that he is God. I want a God who does whatever I want him to do according to my moral schema what we have is we have chaos. We've talked about this a lot. There's chaos. There's chaos in our world. There's chaos in our political system. There's chaos everywhere. There's businesses falling apart. People without jobs. And yeah, part of that's because we did have a pandemic. But part of that is because we've got a world that's falling apart. And it continually believes that it knows what is best. It continually believes that we have the right answer, but everybody believes that they have the right answer, and everybody does what is right in their own eyes. And Jesus says, I'm not going to do life, I'm not going to give you what you want, I'm not going to do it the way that you think I should do it, I'm gonna do it my way, or it literally is the highway. Jesus is really cut and dried by that. But he's also immensely gracious, Not in giving us what we want, but in giving us what we need. Jesus gives us what we need, not what we want oftentimes. Not what we think we want. It's what we would want if we knew everything that he knows. But Jesus says, I know what you really need. I know what you must have. If you look at this passage with me, you'll see a couple things here. It says here in the first verse, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say. Just just stop right there for a second. There's been this commotion about Jesus healing a demon. People are coming around. There's a lot, this happened a lot to Jesus. He begins to teach, more people come, more people come, more people come. And so the crowds are increasing and included in that, as I said, it, it states in Matthew. That There were Pharisees and scribes also in this group. And by the way, the Pharisees and the scribes are religious people who think that they have it all together. They're religious people that think that their works, that doing good is what saves them. They believe that somehow that what they do is going to save them according to God. So that's, that's who those people are. But it says, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. How's that for an opening statement of a a sermon? This generation is an evil generation. Is there anybody here that would argue that it's not an evil generation? All of us at least have an opinion about the other side, whatever side that is. It's about to be pro-vax or anti-vax. It's Democrat and Republican. It's pro-mask, anti-mask. It's... it's, uh, I don't know, there's all kinds, of, all kinds of things. Jesus says, this generation is an evil generation. Can we not just feel and sense that there's evil in our world today? Just like in Jesus' day, this generation is an evil generation. Jesus is saying the truth about what's happening here, that evil reigns supreme for now in this world. Evil is powerful. Evil is overwhelming us. Evil is... Taking us down. And our world continually goes down this path. It continues to head down this path and head down this path, head down this path until we're going to come to a point of, I don't know, it's just gonna get worse and it's gonna get worse and it's gonna get worse. And I would just say as a side note here, we need a powerful move of God in our world. We need the Holy Spirit to come and to awaken us as Christians. Because I believe this, that we have gone along with the culture for so long. We are just like our culture. In fact, much of, much of the life of our church, we, we have spent our time trying to say, look, we're not as weird as all those other Christians. Sometimes I'm not so sure about that, but uh, just get, that wasn't really, I wasn't really ripping on you, but uh, probably myself. What we, we've spent our life doing that, but the truth is that there is something weird, there's something strange, there, 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 there's something uh, extraordinary about people that are believers in Christ. There's something uh, out of this world that would cause us to operate in a different way. So Jesus says, uh, this generation is an evil generation, it seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Okay, no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? What, is that, what does that even mean? Read a little bit more. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Okay, that's, okay. so Jonah. So he's talking about the story about Jonah. I don't know if you know the story of Jonah. Maybe you don't. But Jonah and the whale. So here's, here's Jonah. He's a prophet of God. God speaks to him and says, I want you to go out of Israel, and I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. Now, what's the city of Nineveh? The city of Nineveh is a horrible, horrific city. There's stories about what they did to their enemies. There's stories about how brutal they were. It was a brutal regime. I think when I preached through it, I think I said that going into the middle of Nineveh, and preaching the word of God would be like walking into ISIS held territory and beginning to preach about Jesus and, and faith and the crucifixion and the resurrection and basically saying, Your God does not exist, my God exists. That, that's the equivalent of it. But he walks into the middle of Nineveh. God tells him to walk into the middle of Nineveh. But what happens? Jonah says, I ain't going. God, how dare you want to save our enemies, our brutal enemies, the ones that have killed us for years, the ones that have taken advantage of us, the ones that have been a thorn in our side. And Jonah takes off. Jonah goes to Tarshish. He goes to Tarshish, which is another city, in the opposite direction. And he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to completely disobey God. I'm not going to listen to the word of God. So he goes the other direction and he hops on a boat and he says, ah, now I'm finally here. But God supernaturally brings about a storm, blows the wind, all that stuff. The sailors are like, what's going on? Somebody's done something wrong. Somebody's ticked off the gods. And Jonah says, I know who it is. I, I got a pretty good idea who's, who's doing this right now. He says, listen, just throw me overboard, and then uh, everything will be fine. So Jonah gets thrown overboard. A giant fish comes and swallows him. I, I believe this actually happened, by the way. A giant fish swallows him. He's in the belly of this whale for three days. So for three days, he is, in essence, buried. For three days, he's buried. He's in the belly of this whale, and he comes to a point where he realizes I'm wrong and God is right. When he realizes and he gets the gospel, which is the mercy of God, when he gets the reality that for him to be unwilling to go and preach to the very people that he hates, for him to be unwilling to go and show grace and mercy to these people is for him to totally miss what God has for him. And so he finally comes to a place where he gets the gospel. He gets the understanding. He gets the reality of how merciful and gracious God is, that God even extends grace to the people who are furthest away from him. And so he says, okay, fine, I'll go. And so God comes to Jonah, and Jonah chapter 3, again and he says this, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown Jonah walks into this city, and the only excerpt that we have of Jonah's sermon is basically this. Uh, What is it? Yet, Yet 40 days. I was thinking 30 days. Yet 40 days. He says, In 40 days, God's gonna crush you. God's gonna crush this city. God is bringing judgment. It's a message of judgment. It's a message of judgment. God sees, he knows, he's aware of the pain and the suffering that Nineveh has been inflicting on this world. When when we feel like God isn't aware, God is aware. God is aware of what's happening. So God's aware of what's happening in Nineveh. God's aware of what's taking place there. And he says, I am going to execute judgment And who knows what else Jonah talked about in his sermon. Because what it says in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 12, it says this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus says this, Jesus says The only sign that you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. Now, is that the sign of like the the signs that God produced in, uh, in bringing Jonah back to the city of Nineveh? No, it's a sign of that Jonah is a lot like Jesus. That Jonah is like an earlier Jesus, even though Jesus wasn't disobedient. Jonah was, but Jesus wasn't. So Jonah is like Jesus in that Jonah is swallowed by a whale three days, three nights in the belly of the whale and then he's coughed up and he comes in and he preaches the gospel. And what is the message of the gospel that he brings? Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Now I don't know about you I don't know how you feel exactly, but what I hear from many, many different people is this. In spite of all of my efforts to make myself feel good about my choices and the things that I have done, I still have a guilt that persists in the midst of my life. And no matter what our world tells us, no matter how often they try to convince us, that what we're doing is okay, that how we're doing it is fine, that, you, that the things that our world celebrates that are absolutely detrimental to society, no matter how much our world tells us that, no matter how much our world tries to cancel you for saying, uh, for saying something different, it just gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse, but in our heart of hearts, there's something in us that tells us I am wrong. I am open to judgment from God and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I don't know if you've ever had that sense, but I would just say this, that it is common among most of the people that I've spoken with. The problem is, is that they say, Jesus, show me a sign that says I should listen to you over the people that say, don't feel bad about that. Just do whatever you want. Jesus says the sign is the sign of Jonah. Jonah was buried for three days, and then he was raised from the dead, in essence. Look at the next verse. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something, than, something greater than Solomon is here okay what does that mean what does that mean the queen of the south is the queen of sheba i believe that would be in modern day yemen i I think i have that right she was in modern day yemen and here we have solomon who is in israel so the queen of the south is this queen obviously and she is in yemen and she hears about solomon now who is solomon Why is Jesus bringing up Solomon? Solomon is King David's son. King David, you know, David and Goliath. So Solomon is King David's son. And he ascends to the throne because David dies. He comes to the throne. And God comes to him in a dream and says, Ask whatever you want. Ask for whatever you want. And Solomon says, "This I want you to give me wisdom to be able to lead these people, your great and numerous people, because I am young and I do not know my way in or out. I don't know anything, and so I need wisdom from you, God." And God says, "Because you did not ask for riches, and because you didn't uh, try to get you know just stuff from me, I'm going to give you all that and more." So Sheba. The queen of Sheba, I should say, the queen of the south, in this passage, hears about Solomon. And she says, I've got to go experience this guy. I've got to go experience this wisdom. I've got to go hear about this guy. And so she goes and she sees Solomon. And so we read in 1 Kings chapter 10. And she said to the king, chapter 10, verse uh, verse 6. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 6. The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. What does Jesus say about her? He says the queen of the south, this woman, is going to rise up at the judgment, the great day of judgment, with the men of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and build something greater than Solomon is here. What's Jesus saying there? Jesus is saying she barely hears about the wisdom of God. She kind of hears a couple inklings. She goes, I've been looking for wisdom. Now put that in today's context. We are all looking for wisdom. Wisdom. We are all looking for what is the way forward. Where's the chaos coming from? Because everyone believes that they are their own wisdom. Everyone does what is right in their own own eyes. The, The queen of the south hears barely of the wisdom of God. It's very faint. And she travels over land and sea through this terrible journey. She gets there and she goes... She's just seeing the results of the wisdom of God and she goes, surely your God is real. What does the queen of the south need? She does not need some crazy water parting, sky stopping, you know, crazy supernatural thing to happen. She sees the wisdom of God in this. And so on the last day, judgment day, when she has believed God, that God was true, she is standing in judgment over these men, over these women, who've said, you know what, I need a sign. Need to, show me, show me what's up, show me what's up. And Jesus says, she's, she's gonna stand in judgment. And he says, the, uh, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is saying the wisdom of God is standing in front of you. The wisdom of God is right here and right now. Look at the next verse here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What's that saying? It's saying this. The men of Nineveh didn't have Jesus. The queen of the south didn't have Jesus standing in front of them. You're way more culpable. You're way more at fault because you have the son of God standing in front of you and you can't seem to get it. At that point... There is nothing left for God to do for you. At that place, there's nothing left. There's no signs that are going to awaken you. There's nothing that's going to happen that's going to redirect your focus. There's nothing about it that's going to make you into a person who is is a God-fearer at that point because you refuse to believe You refuse to take heart. You refuse to to hear it. And Jesus' response to that is this. This is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign. No sign will be given to it except for me. Jesus is pointing ahead to the cross, the burial, and his resurrection. But what that immediately brings up is this. If he is the wisdom of God, if he is true and everyone else is a liar, if, if that is true and he has to go to the cross, then I've got to deal with some things. Judgment and condemnation. So let's dig into our hearts here. What's keeping us from belief? What's keeping us in Unbelief. How is unbelief continued even among people who claim Christianity? There's a thing in, in Christianity where many of us believe that God is here to make me happy. And of course, we're talking about Advent. And that, that the, the coming of Christ brings ultimate joy. So there is that happiness, there is that joy. But as I said at the beginning, that oftentimes what we're looking for is we're looking for a God that is going to fulfill our desires as we see them, that is going to do what we want him to do. And the thing that we don't recognize, the thing that we don't realize is that God has ultimate wisdom. God has ultimate wisdom that can solve anything in our lives. That God has this ultimate wisdom that, that, that something greater than Solomon is standing right here. That the wisdom of God is found in his word. Do you know where unbelief exists? Unbelief exists And a refusal to look to the word of God. It's saying, you know what, God? Show me a sign. Show me that you exist. Show me me this. Show me that. I want to have greater experiences. I want to feel this way. I want to feel that way. And God says, something greater than Solomon is here. It is my very word that I'm speaking to you. It is my word that I have given to you. And yet many, many believers today don't believe it enough. We're looking for something other than Christ coming out of the scriptures. We're looking for something other than. And Jesus is communicating this to us. This is an evil generation. It is a a, a wicked generation. And it refuses to see the signs that already exist. It refuses to see it. Now, what do we do? What do we do as a result? If many of us are in this place where I've been looking for wisdom in my life, I refuse, I've refuse. i refused to see God, I've looked in every other place, I've tried to put these unrealistic ex- expectations on God instead of actually looking to what he's revealed, then what do I actually need to do? what I actually need to do, what I actually need to be, what I actually need to experience is the Christ himself. I have to see Jesus for who he is. That Jesus is not just this uh, demanding God Who's just going to execute justice and, and, and uh, get angry with me and he's distant from me or like, or, or like he's this genie in a bottle or, or something like that. No, Jesus is, is God. He's the, he is who God is. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You, you want to know what God is like? You have to look at Jesus in the scriptures. You want to know who God is? You actually have to read about him in the scriptures. You have to see his gentleness, his kindness, his love, his grace, his mercy, his acceptance. You have to see the reason why the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners and the people that didn't have it right, you have to see why were they coming to Jesus. It's because they didn't have a leg to stand on. They didn't have a shred of their own ability. They had nothing left. They knew that they were messed up. The people of Nineveh knew that they were lost and messed up. The queen of the south knew that she was lost and messed up and needed the wisdom of God. Do you realize that you need The wisdom of God today because it's found in Jesus it is found in Jesus how is it found in him many people say I'm just waiting to get to this point where I have this experience when I feel bad enough about my sin then I can accept the forgiveness and grace of God Oftentimes we say this by by saying, you know, I don't really have much of a testimony because I wasn't really all that sinful before I became a Christian. That really is just to expose something. It's to expose the fact that you don't believe that you need Jesus right where you are at. And so the first step towards coming to Jesus is not to say that I need to feel really bad about my sin, but is to say, I believe God. I believe, God, that I I am so sinful that I needed God to save me. I needed Jesus to actually go to the cross and die for me. Because here's here's the reality. My experience with God does not precede my faith in God. I, I can't have experience with God without first trusting him. Without first looking to him who is better than Jonah, who is better than uh, Solomon, without first looking to him and saying yes. And how do you say yes? You say yes by by understanding this. I deserve judgment for all of my sin. I deserve judgment. The wrath of God coming down on me. But God, who is absolutely gracious, has sent Jesus Christ, and I am putting my trust in him. I'm no longer going to trust in the celebrities, in the people, in the mantras, in the talking points, in whatever it is. I'm no longer just going to believe in myself. That's just taking me further down this path that our world is going. I am going to believe what I really believe in is Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the only one who can save me from this world. Jesus Christ is the only way to get to God. Jesus Christ is the only way to experience true joy. And you trust him and you begin to obey him. Not perfectly because Jesus' perfect obedience was for you. But you begin to obey him. You begin to walk with him. And you begin to listen to him. If you're seeking for a sign, you're going to miss it. Jesus is the sign. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's saying, There's, I don't have anything else for you. You have to start with me. Otherwise, You've missed it. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, we thank you for the reality of your atoning death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you that you went to the cross and took our sins. We thank you that you've powerfully worked And God, I pray that we would trust in you and not in anything else in this world. That, Lord, we would trust in you. That we'd not be seeking for signs in other ways, that we would not be superstitious, but, God, that we would be looking to you, looking to the truth of your word to transform us. Lord, I pray this in your name.